You turn with me, please, to the Gospel of Luke and the portion we read there in the, in the chapter 17. Luke chapter 17, and the, word, the Holy Word of the Lord, open now, let us seek the Lord's help in prayer. Our dear Lord, we're glad. It gives us great joy to sing about the blood. We believe, Lord, in the blood. We believe in the power of the blood. We believe that without the shedding of blood, there is no remission. We believe, Lord, that the blood of Christ can cleanse from all sin. We're glad there's power in the blood. Lord, put the blood upon the meeting tonight. Put the blood on the meeting. And, O oh Lord God, I pray thou will lead us out after thyself. Lead us on with thyself. And, O oh Lord, come again. Come again, Lord, and grant us the help of the Holy Spirit of God. For where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. And even as her sister was praying earlier, Spirit of the living God, fall afresh on me. Spirit of the living God, fall afresh on me. Melt me and mold me. Mend me and fill me. Oh, that even the Spirit of God will fall afresh upon us all tonight. Shut us in with thyself. And help us, O oh Lord, help us to preach Christ. We pray and ask all these things in his wonderful and holy name. Amen. Luke's Gospel, chapter 17. And the text for this evening is that verse 14. Verse 14 we read, And when he saw them, he said unto them, Go show yourselves unto the priests. And it came to pass that as they went, they were cleansed. The dear Savior, after his few years of public ministry, embarked upon the final journey to Jerusalem. Jerusalem that would witness his arrest, his mock trial, his crucifixion, his burial, and his resurrection. Luke informs us when that journey began. We know, of course, it began way back in eternity, but when the Lord came and walked upon earth, when did that journey begin? To Jerusalem, we read in Luke chapter 9. And there in the verse 51. Luke 9 and verse 51, And it came to pass, when the time was come, that he should be received us, he steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem. Notice, and it came to pass when the time was come. Approximately three and a half years of public ministry. Now the time had come for the dear Savior to make his way to Jerusalem. And we are told, he steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem. Those are wonderful words. Knowing all that lay ahead of him, knowing all that lay before him, the shame, the solitude, the suffering, the bloodshedding, still, he steadfastly set his face 
to go to Jerusalem. He never took a step backward. He was never reluctant to go to Jerusalem, knowing all that was before him. He set his face steadfastly. He was steadfast in his journey to Jerusalem. That journey continued. As we read in Luke 13 and verse 22, And he went through the cities and villages, teaching and journeying toward Jerusalem. Periodically, these words are added to what the Lord was doing. As he journeyed, wherever he went, he was making his way to Jerusalem. Didn't matter what village he was into, or town he was into, or home that he dwelt And he was always on his way to Jerusalem. With a step that was firm and true, turning not to the left hand or to the right, Christ continued to journey toward Jerusalem. Every step brings him nearer to the place of a skull. Every step brought him nearer to that place where he would be suspended between heaven and earth. But he does not hesitate. He does not slacken his step. For we read here in Luke 17 and verse 11, And it came to pass as he went to Jerusalem. There's it again. That he passed through the midst of Samaria and Galilee, as he went to Jerusalem. No doubt what lay before him was very much upon his mind. We made reference to that this morning when the dear Saviour entered Gethsemane and revealed his feelings to his disciples. He was exceeding sorrowful even on to death. He knew what was just a few hours away. Yet still he went to Jerusalem. As was prophesied in Isaiah 50. And there in Isaiah 50. And verse 5. The Lord God hath opened mine ear. And I was not rebellious, neither turned away back. Those are interesting words. For you see, in the Old Testament, when a servant gave years to his master, at the end of a certain period of time, he was given freedom to leave his master. He was given freedom to take his family and leave his master and go elsewhere and serve elsewhere. But if that servant said, I will not leave my master. I love my master. Then the master of that servant would take him to the doorway of the house. He would take an awl. And he would pierce his ear, nailing his ear to the framework of the door. That's what is referred to here. There in that verse 5, And the Lord hath opened mine ear. That's what the master did with his servant. He opened his ear. And it was a sign that the servant was giving his life to serve his master. He wasn't going to serve anybody else but that master. And so the master opened his ear. And here is Christ, the perfect servant. And the Lord says, the Lord God hath opened mine ear. And I was not rebellious. He's serving his heavenly father. He came into the world to do his father's will. And he wasn't rebellious. Neither turned away back. 
Remember? He set his face as a flint to go to Jerusalem. And we read in verse 6, I gave my back to the smiters and my cheeks to them that plucked off the hair. I hid not my face from shame and spitting. He knew what was before him. Here it is prophesied in the book of Isaiah. For the Lord God will help me. Therefore shall I not be confounded. Therefore have I set my face like a flint. And I know that I shall not be ashamed. The obedient servant. He was not rebellious. Neither turned back. From doing what he had come into the world to do. And that was to die for his elect there on Calvary. And whatever sufferings he was to endure, he was willing to suffer all things that he might purchase salvation for you and I. And here he is making his way to Jerusalem. But as the Lord made his way to Jerusalem, knowing what was before him, that didn't mean and didn't prevent him from carrying out acts of mercy as he made his way to Jerusalem. And one such act of mercy took place, verse 12, as he entered into a certain village. The subject tonight is when mercy met misery. Where mercy met misery. And it was in this certain village that mercy met misery. The misery was in the form of ten leprous men. And they experienced the mercy of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's where mercy met misery. One is to notice first of all the master and the men. For it was there at that certain village that the Lord had mercy on a group of ten lepers. Healing them of their dreadful disease. The master and the men. This, of course, was not the first time that the Lord Jesus had encountered those whose lives had been ruined with leprosy. We read in Luke 5 and verse 12, there we are told, when he was in a certain city, behold, a man full of leprosy approached him. That poor leprous man had his life transformed when the Lord in grace healed him, cleansed him of his leprosy. But now, now that pitiful, polluted, poverty-stricken sight is multiplied ten times. Because ten lepers met the Lord that day in that certain village. All that a leper suffered was multiplied ten times when the Lord saw that group of men. Notice first of all their plight. Ten men we know absolutely nothing about them. We know nothing about their background. We're not told anything about the homes they came from. We're not told anything about their families. Or whether they had jobs and were employed before they contacted leprosy. No, we're told nothing about them except this. Ten men 
that were lepers. That's all we're told. Not told anything else other than they were lepers. And any person who saw those men, or even each one individually, they knew straight away, there's a leper. It couldn't be hidden. We all know something about that awful dreaded disease of leprosy and how it defigures the body. And so when anyone saw those men, they knew straight away, those men are lepers. And no matter who we may look upon, no matter where we are, we know that whoever we look upon, they have a disease that's worse than leprosy. We may not know anything about their background, anything about their homes, or anything about their families, whether they are rich or poor, but one thing we do know, they have a disease that's worse than leprosy, is the leprosy of sin. doesn't matter where we look. Every person we see in the course of the day, we know they're sinners. Just as we are. Because Paul has told us, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We use that word often. We talk about sinners. We talk about sin. But what is sin? What is it? What is sin? Shorter Catechism tells us. Sin is any want of conformity unto or transgression of the law of God. That's what sin is. Sin is any want of conformity unto. That is not keeping God's law. Sin is the transgression of God's law. And every son of Adam is a sinner. Every son of Adam has broken God's law. That's it. And we know that. Doesn't matter who we look to. Doesn't matter who we see. That's one thing we know about them. We may not know anything else, but one thing we do, we, know, we do know, and that is they're sinners. John in his epistle, first epistle 3 and verse 4, Whosoever committeth sin transgresseth also the law. For sin is the transgression of the law. There it is, explained. And if we offend in one part, we're guilty of all. And surely nobody, nobody would be proud enough to say, oh, I have never broken God's law. Even saying that, they've broken God's law. Just as those lepers could not heal themselves, so there's not a man or a woman in this world can save themselves from sin. It is impossible. Impossible. Can't be done. We sang it tonight. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Nothing. Only one person. Only one person. Whoever walked the scene of time did so without sin. And we know who that is. The one who came to save sinners. Because it needed a spotless, sinless sacrifice to be given if we were to be saved from our sin. A sinner couldn't die and save sinners. Christ is the spotless Lamb of God. As well as their plight, 
We notice they're partners. We're told that there were ten men that were lepers. So they were partners. Not in crime. But they were partners in leprosy and in misery. Different homes. Different backgrounds. But what brought them together? The same affliction. Leprosy. That's what made them partners. But there's something else here that we should take note of. Look at verse 16. This individual fell down on his face, at his feet, the Savior's feet, giving him thanks, and he was a Samaritan. Well, now, isn't that interesting? We know the Jews had no dealings with the Samaritans. But nine were Jews. One was a Samaritan. And they're partners now. They are all together now. What was it that brought them together? What was it made them partners where they wouldn't ordinarily have been so? What brought them together? Leprosy. Leprosy united them all. Nine Jews, one Samaritan. And here is a sobering thought. Leprosy, like sin, is no respecter of persons. Sin pollutes the heart, the mind, the thoughts of all of mankind. Protestant, Roman Catholics, all have sinned. Muslim, Jews, all have sinned. The Queen in Buckingham Palace, the Pope in the Vatican, all have sinned. No difference. All have sinned. From Muhammad to the Dalai Lama, all have sinned. The church goer to the atheist, all have sinned. The rich and the poor, the famous and the infamous, all have sinned. See? That's what unites all of mankind. We're all sinners. And on the day of judgment, that will be seen. We'll see the unity of all of mankind on the day of judgment. For we read in Revelation chapter 6, verse 15. Revelation 6, verse 15. And the kings of the earth and the great men, kings, great men, and the rich men, and the chief captains, and the mighty men, and every bondman, and every free man hid themselves in the dens and in the rocks of the mountains, and said unto the mountains and rocks, Fall on us, and hide us from the face of him that sitteth on the throne, from the wrath of the Lamb, for the great day of his wrath has come, and who shall be able to stand? The kings of the earth, and the mighty man, and the great man, and every bond man, and every free man. They're all united. That's what brought them all together. And will bring them all together in the great day of judgment. Sin, sin, sin. Unites them all. as well as their plight. And the partners, we see their place. Their place. Look there at verse 12. And as he entered into a certain village, there met him ten men 
that were lepers which stood afar off. There was their place. They stood afar off. They could not come near to anyone because of their leprosy. They had to dwell alone. They were separated from family and friends because of their leprosy. They would dwell maybe in a cave, in a rock. That's where they lived and people out of the town or the village would bring food out and leave it in a neutral place for the lepers and then they would come out and take the food and go back into their caves again. Awful life, wasn't it? Their separation. Separated from those that they love. If a leper walked down the street, many a person would stop going down that street and they would go around another way. Rather than walk down the same street as a leper. And that leper would have to walk down that street and cry out, unclean, unclean, unclean. What a picture of sin. And on that day, when the Lord came to that certain village, we're told the men were afar off. That is, they were afar off from Christ. And those two words, afar off, aptly describe the place where those who have the leprosy of sin stand in relation to God and to heaven. They're afar off. Church goer is as far off from God as the man who's never been to church. As the man who claims there is no God. Afar off. And that's certainly how the apostle addressed those that he ministered to in the day of Pentecost. As we read in Acts chapter 2. And there in Acts 2 and verse 38. Verse 38. Then Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost, and for the promises unto you and to your children, and to all them that are afar off. Even as many as the Lord our God shall call. And that's where every sinner is. I don't care who they are, or what they are, or what position they hold in life. They are afar off from God. Far off. And you and I know hundreds, thousands of people. And they're trying to make their way to heaven through their own good works. You know, you've heard it. Go around the doors and you'll soon find out. Oh, I go to church every week. My minister says I'm all right. They've lived that way for years. And you know something? They're not an inch nearer heaven. And when they started out, nowhere near. They are still afar off. But I'll tell you something else. The person who dies in that state in eternity, they'll be afar off, all right, further from God than ever they were in their lifetime. Far off. In hell, 
forever. Luke 16. Now we read in verse 22. And it came to pass that the beggar died and was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. I want to say something. You talk to the, the, the Jehovah Witnesses and the Mormons. They'll tell you, oh, this, this is a parable. No, it's not. When the Lord told parables, he didn't include proper and personal names. But he does here in this story. Because the Mormons and the Jehovah Witnesses deny the existence of hell. And here we read, And it came to pass that the beggar died and was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. And the rich man also died and was buried, and in hell he lifted eyes being in torments, and saith Abraham, saith Abraham, afar off. And Lazarus, there's another person. This is no parable. This is a true story. Abraham and Lazarus and the rich man lifted up his eyes being in torments and seeth Abraham afar off. And he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue for I am tormented in this flame. But Abraham said, Son, remember thou that thou in thy lifetime perceivest, receivest thy good things and likewise Lazarus evil things. But now he is comforted and thou art tormented. Listen to this. And beside all this, Between us and you, there is a great gulf fixed. Afar off. And what did Abraham say? Beside all, that, all this, between you and between us and you, there is a great gulf fixed, so that they which would pass from hence to you cannot. Neither can they pass to us that would come from hence. They're afar off. Boy, isn't that a dreadful thought. You'd want to make sure you're right with God. You'd want to make sure you're saved all right. You'd want to be dead on, sure. Rather than pass from this scene of time into eternity. And be afar off from God for all eternity. Far off. That would nearly give you chills up your back thinking about it. And beside all this, there is a great gulf fixed. And Lazarus, our uh, rich man, no one can go to you. No one can go to you and deliver you. And neither can you come to us. Because there's a great gulf fix. You want to make sure you're saved. You want to make sure. You want to make Sure. Your calling and election, sure. Likewise, what a terrible lingering death awaited these ten men. These ten leprous men. But then, hope came one day. Hope came one day when Christ entered into a certain village and there... Mercy met misery. We have noted the master and the men. We next then see the master and the meeting. 
since the Lord was on his final journey up to Jerusalem, he would not, he would not, he would not be passing this way again. No, he would not be passing this way again. Here was an opportunity presented to the ten men that were lepers. An opportunity they wouldn't have again. An opportunity that wouldn't come their way again. So we notice their cry to the master. The lepers obviously believed that the Lord could help them. And so we are told they lifted up their voices and said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. Regarding that cry, you'll notice it was a spontaneous cry. No sooner did the ten leprous men see the Lord and they cried out for mercy. It was spontaneous. No, they, they didn't sit down and think about it and say, I wonder, should we call out now? Maybe we'll wait for some other time. Maybe a more convenient season will come our way. No. When they saw the person, they cried out, the person of the Lord Jesus was the only one who could help them. And he was the only one who could heal them. Miss this opportunity and then miss it for good. I want you to notice how they addressed the Lord. They cried out, lifted up their voices and said, Jesus, Master. Have mercy on us. Jesus. We know what Jesus means. It means Savior. They shall call his name Jesus because he will save his people from their sin. Jesus means Savior. They said, Jesus, Master. The word master is only used by Luke when referring to the Lord. It is not the usual word for master. Indeed, there are actually seven different words in the Greek translated master, all referring to Christ. Seven, the number of perfection. And here we have Christ and he's the perfect master. He's the complete master. But the word that Luke uses here, that came from the lips of the leprous man in verse 13, the word means chief. It means commander or overseer. So you put the two names together. Jesus, Master. They cried out Jesus. In other words, they cried out Savior. Have mercy on us. And then they cried Master. Have mercy on us. And you put the two together. What did those leprous men want? They wanted the Lord Jesus to be their saviour. And they wanted him to be the commander of their lives. They wanted him to be the master of their lives. Jesus, master. Have mercy on us. And you think of the order. The name Jesus had to come first. You can't have Christ the master of your life until he's the saviour of your life. And when Christ is your saviour, 
then he'll be your master. He'll be the commander of your life. He'll be the overseer of your life. And you think of the many who have been told about Christ the Savior. Christ the Savior of the soul. And they have yet to call. They've sat under the preaching of the gospel for years. And they have yet to call. Jesus, Master, have mercy on me. And they'll sit. And they'll sit. And they'll sit until one day the demons of hell will carry them off into the bottomless pit where a great gulf is fixed. And yet here with these leprous men, they saw the Lord and spontaneously they cried out, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. As well as the person you have the passing. That is the Lord was passing through this certain village. On his way to Jerusalem and to Calvary. And as was said he would not pass this way ever again. No wonder they cried out spontaneously upon Christ and his passing by. They wouldn't have the opportunity to call again. They could have sat there or stood there wherever they were and watched the procession, watched the multitude pass by and Christ at the head of it and watched him as he passed by way off into the distance. And they would have had to have lived with their leprosy and they would have died with their leprosy. And there are men and women like that today. And they sit there and they sit there and they never crawl out to the Lord for salvation. They live with their sin and they'll die with their sin and they'll be judged for their sin. Even though every time the gospel is preached, the Lord is passing by. Every time the word is preached and the gospel is preached and the invitation to receive Christ as Savior it's, that's the Lord passing by. And you know, the day may come when he'll not pass them by again. He'll not pass their way ever again. Remember Dr. Paisley telling us the story of a gospel campaign he was holding and for the first week or two there were two ladies they always came into the meeting and it was evident they were under conviction of sin sitting weeping one night one of the ladies stayed behind and received Christ as her saviour the next night that saved woman was back and her friend was with her as well but there were no more tears. There was no more conviction. No more conviction. And Dr. Beasley asked the woman at the end of the service, he thought maybe she'd get saved at home, and she said, no, no. She told Dr. Beasley, says, I've been under conviction for two weeks sitting in this mission. And when I went home the other night, my friend got saved, I said, told the Holy Spirit not to strive with me anymore. And she never came back to the mission. The Lord had passed her by for the last time. And she never called out for the Lord to save her. And she left it too late. 
too late. It was a spontaneous cry. It was a simple cry. No, they didn't use the enticing words of man's wisdom. Instead, it was a very simple cry. Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. Mercy. What else had they to plead? Mercy. Have mercy on us. Have mercy. Look at us, Lord. We're a bunch of miserable wretches. And nobody wants anything to do with us because we're lepers. Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. That was all they had to plead. No, they couldn't plead riches. They couldn't plead righteousness. They couldn't plead respectability. None of those things. They didn't have any of those things. They were neither rich nor respectable nor righteous. And all they could do was Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. There one day stood the the publican And the old Pharisee just across the way says, I'm glad I'm not like this man. I do this and do that and do the other. And the publican stood there and would not lift up so much as his eyes unto heaven, but smote his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. That's all he could say. And that man, the Lord says, went home justified. What else could he say? Have mercy on me. As well as their cry to the Master, we see the compassion of the Master. Something we dealt with briefly this morning. Upon hearing their cry, we are told, and when Jesus saw them, by love those words. You were to go over to John 5. You'd read there about the, the Lord passing by the pool of Bethesda. And in the porches around the pool was a great multitude of impotent folk. And the Lord, as he passed by, he saw this man. He had been impotent, powerless in his body for 38 years. And that's what it says. Jesus saw him lie. And he asked him, wilt thou be made whole? And the man said to the Lord, I have no man when the water is troubled to put me into the pool. Someone else steps in before me. And I've often thought about that man. How friendless he was. He says, I have no man. I have no friends. I have nobody interested enough to take me and help me into the water when the angel comes down and disturbs the waters. I have no man. He had no friend until the Lord Jesus passed him by that day. And when the Lord saved that man, that man had the best friend in all the world because he had Christ and the Lord looked upon 
these ten lepers. No, he didn't ignore them. No, he didn't ignore them. He didn't pass them by. He didn't despise them. He didn't say, I don't want anything to do with you, as many another would have. No, as it was with Christ. When he saw the poor and the meaty, as we saw this morning, he's moved with compassion. Think of it. He was on the way to the cross. This is a marvelous thing. Christ was on his way to the cross, yet he still had tenderness of heart for these poor lepers. The Lord was going to Calvary, and as we read there in Isaiah 50, what was before him? And the Lord didn't look upon these lepers and say, Oh, man, don't tell me your troubles. I've got troubles of my own. No. That was not the attitude of Christ. Instead, think of this. Instead, he made the troubles of others his troubles. He made the troubles of these ten lepers. He made those troubles his. And there is no greater example of this than what we see in the cross of Calvary. For there is the Savior's, as the sinner's substitute and sacrifice. What did the Lord do? What did the Lord do? He took our sins and he made them his sins. He took our sins for he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. You know, when you think of that, it ought to prompt us to fall down upon our knees. And thank the Lord for what he did for us at Calvary. He who knew no sin was made sin for us. He who is holy and harmless and undefiled and separate from sinners. Yet he was made sin for us. And what Christ suffered on the cross, that's what we should have suffered. But Christ suffered it for us. He's our substitute. And praise God, he's our saviour. As well as their cry to the master and the compassion of the master... We see the command of the master. Being moved with compassion when he saw the ten lepers, he said unto them, verse 14, Go show yourselves unto the priests. This was in accordance with the law of Moses. Leviticus 14, verses 1 to 3. You see, when an individual had leprosy and felt they had been cleansed from their leprosy or had been healed from their leprosy, the law of Moses demanded that they go to the priest and the priest would examine them and the priest would decide if their leprosy had gone. 
And here's the Lord, and he's saying to those leprous men, Go, show yourselves unto the priests. Because <laughs> the Lord knew. By the time they would get to the priests, they would be healed. The Lord knew that. They would be healed. But they had to obey the command of the Lord. Oh no. Can be healed from your sin unless you obey God's word. And what is God's word? What does God's word say? Come unto me all you that labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. You need to come. What does God's word say? It says, look unto me and be ye saved all the ends of the earth for I am God and there is none else. God's word says, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. You need to come. You need to look. You need to call. That's God's command. If you don't look in faith, if you don't come by faith, if you don't call by faith, you'll never be saved. No, sir. And ten leprous men were commanded to go to the leper, or go to the priests. And as they went, verse 14, they were cleansed. As they went, as they obeyed the word of the Lord, they were cleansed. In the last place, we have considered the master and the men, the master and the meeting. And then the master and the marvel. The marvel. What a marvel. What a miracle of grace. As they went, they were cleansed. Notice, first of all, the awareness. We are told about one of them when he saw that he was healed. The Samaritan. It says, when he saw that he was healed. So the man, the Samaritan, who was a leper, he was aware that a great change had taken place in his life when he saw that he was healed. He knew immediately. He knew immediately. He'd been healed. He knew it. Nobody needed to tell him. He didn't really need to go to the, the priest to tell him. He already knew. great Ulster preacher W.P. Nicholson, I'm sure you've heard his name mentioned a number of times. Lord mightily used him. But W.P. Nicholson used to say, you can't be saved and not know it. And you can't be saved and not show it. Well, this man was saved from his leprosy and boy, did he know it. This man was saved from his leprosy and he showed it. No one could argue with his experience. No one could argue with him and deny what had taken place. A change had taken place in his life. He had been healed and cleansed of his leprosy like Naaman who was cleansed from his leprosy and his flesh came again like unto the flesh of a little child and he was clean and he knew it. He knew it. He knew it and he felt it because he was there when it happened. So he ought to know. There are some people who say we cannot tell whether we are saved or whether all is well. They say we only can hope and trust it is so. Well, I was there when it happened, so I ought to know. I don't care who tells me salvation is not real. 
Though the world may argue that we cannot feel the heavy burdens lifted and the vile sins go. I was there when it happened, so I ought to know. And whenever you are saved, you can say, well, I was there when it happened, so I ought to know. What did Nicholson say? You can't be saved and not show it. You can't be saved and not know it. You know it all right. I remember when I started the ministry in the mayor's prison outside Belfast. You know, you go in there and a lot of them are paramilitaries. And, well, they're in there for all kinds of paramilitary stuff. You go in the first time, you know, you don't know what to expect. So I thought I'll give them a testimony. And there was one notorious prisoner there. He'd been sentenced to life for 13 murders. And he was there in the meeting that morning. I gave him a testimony and told about how I was saved on the 5th of May 1969. And I said, I knew immediately I was saved. Everything was different. You may not fully appreciate what I'm about to say, but... I said that night, I remember coming out of the wooden church there in Tandragee and I walked down the old stone pathway and I said I was that happy that dandelions looked like orange lilies. And this fellow who had been in jail for 13 murders, he suddenly jumped up. He says, boy, that's a cracker. So that broke the ice. You can't be saved and not know it. You can't be saved and not show it. You have the adoration, the awareness and the adoration. The one leper returned to thank the master for what he had done. Verses 15 and 16. So thankful was he with a loud voice glorified God and fell down on his face giving him thanks. Always remember that. Whenever we open the hymnal, give thanks to the Lord with a loud voice. Because we're really only getting into practice for heaven, because in heaven they worship the Lord with a loud voice. And with much to thank him for, for all the Lord has done for me, I never will cease to praise him. For all his grace so rich and free, I never will cease to praise him. You have the awareness and the adoration, but then the absentees. The Lord said, were there not ten? Where are the nine? One did to notice something there. The Lord took note of the one who returned to give him thanks. And the Lord takes note of those who give him thanks. The Lord takes note of those who praise his name. And he takes note of those who don't. Where are the nine? The day that mercy met misery what a day that was for those leprous men and what a day it was for you and I when the leprosy of our sin was washed away and our great high priest tells us you're clean alright praise the Lord let's bow in prayer Lord our God and eternal Father we bless thee for the mercy of Christ the mercy we thank thee for the day Lord thou didst have mercy on us we ran from thee for years 
And yet, Lord, in mercy, thou didst pursue us. Thou didst pursue us. Until that night, that day, that hour, we received that effectual call. Drawn with irresistible grace. And Lord, we have often wondered, why did thou save me? We thank thee afresh tonight for taking our sins, making them thine own, bearing the burden to Calvary to suffer and die alone. Lord, write the word upon our hearts. Be with us throughout this week. Bless us, Lord, in our going out and coming in, in our down sitting and in our uprising. Now may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be our abiding portion now. And until the day breaks and the shadows all flee away and we see Christ in all his glory and majesty. Amen. Amen.